Thank you for tuning in to Grassroots Television. Visit grassrootstv.org for on-demand community archive footage, as well as educational, inspiring, and entertaining local programming. A contribution to Grassroots TV allows us to bring your voice to the valley and to preserve media that will be enjoyed by future generations. Visit us at grassrootstv.org and follow us on Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Twitter. We encourage you to support all the local businesses and citizens that generously underwrite grassroots programming and play an integral role in nurturing open communication among the residents of the Roaring Fork Valley since 1972. Thank you for tuning in to Grassroots Community Network. Hello, I'm Ira Bedzo, and this is The Good Life, a show that talks about all aspects of human flourishing, from physical and mental health to social and spiritual well-being. The topic of today's show is immigration, acculturation, and community building. And I'll be speaking with John Fox Rubin, who is the executive director of Valley Settlement. John, uh, first, welcome for, for coming. I, uh, uh, I appreciate you coming and taking the time to, to be here today. Uh, but before we begin talking about immigration, acculturation, and community building in particular, tell me about Valley Settlement. What is its philosophy, and uh, what does it do? Valley, well, thank you for having me on the show. Valley Settlement is an organization that's based in the Mid-Valley, and we basically cover the Roaring Fork School District in what we do, and we empower immigrant families to improve their lives. That's uh, a very big ticket and a, and a broad item. Would mm -hmm. you mind uh, explaining what does it mean to improve their life? Does that mean economically? Does it mean uh, in terms of uh, feeling closer in terms of their identity, of being American? Does it mean... Uh, uh, Education. What, what what type of improvement are you yeah. are you talking about? The strategies we use to help people improve their own lives are what's called a two generation strategy. So we work with parents of young children in multiple programs, primarily around education. So we'll take a, a young mother of two children and support her and her children with early childhood services for the children, like preschool and even mommy and me type classes. And also we work with informal caregivers in their homes to use best known strategies for preparing their child for a bilingual life. Mm -hmm. And then the parents oftentimes have lived here quite a while but didn't get to finish their, say, high school education. So we meet them where they're at and we do a lot of adult basic education in Spanish. Because if you want to learn English, you're way better off having mastered your own language first. And so many of the immigrants that live here have found a big challenge in, like, say, taking an English as a second language class at CMC because they're maybe at a fifth grade level of literacy 10 years ago when they graduated high school. So we help them build back up to a GED level in Spanish, and then they can enter the community college system here. Now, I understand you're, you're working with two different uh, types of education, one for the children and one for the parents. Mm -hmm. Is does that mean Valley Settlement's basically like two different organizations combined, or is there interaction between the types of education between parents and children? Very good question. Basically, all of our individual programs aim to have overlap and integration between them. So all of the strategies we're using are transferable from a parent's life as their child's first teacher and also for their own development. Things like reading to your children and engaging with them in conversation like serve and return, even if you're not literate, you can share a story with your child if we coach you. Many of these families, no one read to them when they were children, and they're not aware of how powerful that can be, even when they can read. Many of them don't, don't know to do that with their children. So we, we teach them 
uh, strategies that work for their own education in terms of use as many words that you can in the language you're most comfortable with with your child. Uh, you know, English only, trying to force your own child to, to acculturate uh, isn't necessarily the best way. You know, if, if your native, you know, some, some families, one, one spouse speaks English at home and the other speaks Spanish, and that's really good for the children because their brains are incredibly uh, active in assimilating all sorts of information. Now, with regards to the, the parent side, and I can understand for the children it might be easier to go into the uh, public schooling, but for the parent side, why focus on uh, general education or personal development as opposed to like vocational training or something like yeah. that? Yeah, basically, you have to follow education in a path. You can't leapfrog any steps. So, expecting someone to succeed in vocational education if they don't have the basics really sets them up for failure. And so we we meet families wherever they're at. So if you need a GED to go to CMC and succeed in, say, a, a physician care attendant class or a certified nursing class, we might find someone that's not quite literate in Spanish, bolster them up, get them to a GED level in Spanish because you can take the GED, then come over here and do some ESL classes in CMC, and then you're ready. Or, you know, taking, taking multiple paths to get there is really where, where we try to focus. And we've partnered with plenty of organizations, including CMC, finding an untapped patient and student pool for them. And I've heard you, you once called this a, a community organizing approach. What, what does that mean? It seems as if it's just an education approach. The approach to the programs is very much an education approach. Our approach to relationships with the families to help them succeed is based in the, the, the fundamentals of community organizing. So think of Valley Settlement as a virtual settlement house. Now, you're from New York City, so you probably know there are 30 to 50 active settlement houses in New York City today where immigrants can come, live, study the language, find a job, get job training, and then when they're ready, they graduate out of the, the physical settlement house. Valley Settlement is not a physical settlement house. All of our programs are out in the communities. So we run three mobile preschools. So it's a preschool bus that goes into a low-income neighborhood and offers free preschool. The price is we expect perfect attendance and we expect the parents to volunteer. Our staff are bilingual and bicultural and go into the home periodically with the family to help focus the parents on all the things that they can do to support that early childhood period. And do you focus primarily or, or, or only on uh, immigrant families? Or I can imagine, especially in, in the Valley uh, today, there, there are, what do you call it, hybrid families where mm. uh, parents may be immigrants but children may be citizens. Right. Uh, how, how does that dynamic work in terms of Valley settlement? We def define immigrant pretty broadly. We, we've, we've focused on using the word immigrant because most of the families we serve are immigrants. And as you're mentioning, most of their children are born here. So the families have a mixed, mixed status. And we also don't exclude anyone. So in the neighborhoods we operate in, if there's a you know, an immigrant family from Morocco or, you know, a white working class family, they are more than welcome to participate in our programs. And we do have a, a little bit, but it's in the high 90 percentile from Spanish-speaking countries. And our immigrant families, well, I'll put it this way, how do immigrant families uh, get word of your, of your services? How, how, do you, how do you reach out to them? Mm -hmm. And then as a, also as a follow-up, is there any uh, nervousness in terms of coming to uh, Valley Settlement? How we reach the families started with door-to-door -door, door knocking with Spanish-speaking community organizers. 
now that we're entering our sixth program year, it's pretty easy for us to recruit from families that are friends of any of our current participants, but we always go door to door in the neighborhoods as well. So we never kind of forget that our roots are kind of grounds up. So our, our programs are oftentimes designed with the participants at the table and you know, asking them, what are your dreams? What are your hopes? What are, your, you know, what are the obstacles to your success? And in this valley, even though it's a very linear valley, many of the low income housing locations are not very transit friendly and definitely aren't very friendly if you only have one car in your household and, it's that, and that car's commuting. So there's big barriers around transportation, which is partially why our model of going out to them. And so we'll park that preschool bus next to a church or a community center uh, in the mobile home park, and that's where we'll have another class co-located. So if you were a dad of a four-year-old and a two-year-old and your spouse commuted to Aspen, you could drop your four-year-old off at our preschool bus and then go inside and meet some of your neighbors that also have infants, and you get a different course for you and your child. And both of those programs also have a home visit component. So the teacher from both the preschool bus and from the infant toddler program w would come to your house on a periodic basis and but, support you and your family me meeting your educational goals. Has there been any, any apprehension or, or worry uh, when you're going door to door um, to try and reach out to immigrant families uh, in working with Valley Settlement uh, given today's environment or, or not really? I think there's there's apprehension in general in immigrant communities based on you know not having perfect information and on vulnerability. Most of the families know someone who's at risk of, of family separation through deportation. So oftentimes it can take a long time in the legal process to get fully uh, authorized to, to work and to live here. And sometimes you'll have someone on a tourist visa um, that may be expiring or a DACA, which is deferred. Uh, action for children arrivals and many of our staff are DACA so they are part of the system that allows them to work here and be contributing citizens in our community but they have an uncertain future so certainly there's there's fear in the community but Valley Settlement has built a lot of trust over the last five to six years and we don't squander the trust and they, they really are welcoming to us now I can't speak for other organizations that that want to provide services in, in those communities, but for the most part, human services organizations expect the customers to come to them. And so we may be the first people they've seen, and we hire uh, folks from the community to do the work. So that's the other, the other recipe for success mm -hmm. is hiring, hiring highly qualified people from within the immigrant community that may have been here longer and feel like the community gave a lot to them and they're willing to, to pay it forward. No, that's interesting. I, I can understand you mentioning uh, your impact and your success on the growth of Valley Settlement. Mm -hmm. How are you measuring your impact and success on uh, the services that you're providing to uh, families? Well, each one of our programs, we do an annual evaluation process with. So we oftentimes do surveys with the participants. And then if we have other metrics, for example, our preschool bus program, we use an early childhood tool called Teaching Strategies Gold, where the teachers are trained in it. They're trained early childhood educators, and they're assessing the children. So we get an idea of, you know, are they on that path to readiness to kindergarten? And if not, do they need a, some more specialized work? So we're very intentional in evaluating each of our, and we have seven programs right now, each of them once a year, and refining the program based on feedback from the participants and from what are our 
primary uh, outcomes that we desire. So we develop what's called a theory of change for each program, and that's basically what strategies do you use in the program to have the maximum impact on the, out on the outcomes. And the, ma the main outcomes are really elevating the level of education, the level of engagement in the school system, the level of engagement in the community. Have you found that through your assessments that things that you thought would work haven't, uh, or some strategies that uh, you had needed to be changed or adapted over time? Absolutely. That's one of the things that's very, I'd say, unique about our organization is because of how we're funded. We're funded primarily through philanthropy and some county funding and no federal funding that we have the ability to respond to needs pretty quickly in the community and also to listen and really iterate on what strategies are working. Now it has meant we've made mistakes and we've learned and changed some of our programming because of it. But what did what what is what has happened that you thought was uh, either a successful strategy or, or, or an issue that either wasn't or mm -hmm. that wasn't to the degree that you thought? Um, yeah. Like what kind of experiences have you had that opened your eyes to what may be happening that beforehand you, you had a different notion of? Right. Well, early on, one of the programs that we started, so when Valley Settlement started was in 2012, and we started with six programs at the same time. And if you talk to anyone in the wide world, they say, you're crazy. Why would you do that? You should start with one program, understand it, then add another over time. But we did a survey in 2011, thanks to a, a grant from the Kellogg Foundation, because they, they said, where are the immigrant families in the preschools? Because half of your school district has immigrant, you know, about half of the population of the Roaring Fork School District are immigrants. And in the local preschools, there were hardly any. And that's when this community organizing strategy of going door to door and listening and finding out, well, they don't even know what preschool is yet. And $75 or $65 a day is unattainable on a $15 an hour wage. And so learning really helped us inform the program design up front. But one of the big mistakes we made was an after school program that was incredibly successful in terms of the number of children involved in it. However, we didn't get the parents engaged the way we want to. Remember I mentioned we try to use a two generation strategy. So all of our programs have to have parental involvement and engagement or else we feel like we're not moving the outcomes the way we want to because the best predictor of your child's success in education is actually the mother's level of education. So we're trying to support the whole family and, and getting the mother's education level up and the father's as well. We, we educate grandparents, aunts, uncles, you know, anyone in the family that wants to take our classes that's not of school age. Right, so, so I got to ask with regards to the preschool because that's interesting. Yeah. Was the reason why immigrant family is not using the preschools because it was a cultural issue? For example, some cultures have uh, children stay at home longer mm -hmm. and then they go to school at a later age. Or was yeah. it really an information or, or a financial issue? It's both. It's both. It's both cultural and it's financial. Now, many do participate in the Aspen's program, Kids First, the ones that have been here the longest that are commuting up here and are aware of the you know the great opportunity and aware that that having early childhood education will really give them a, you know, a level playing field as, as their kids move through the school system. But many of the families that are in the Down Valley communities aren't as aware and rely on the more historical context of what's called family, friends, and neighbors that are informal caregivers in, in their neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And they're much more affordable as well. So how is Valley Settlement 
just because you mentioned with regards to preschools, half of the, or in the public schools, half of the uh, students are immigrants, half are not. Mm -hmm. How has Valley Settlement not affected, and we're saying that they are, not affected uh, the immigrant families, but affected the greater Roaring Fork Valley in, in general? Right. Um, how is that, that success of your programs for immigrants permeated through the greater population, the greater community? Yeah, I'd say the best example of that is one of our programs is called the Parent Mentor Program. And in that program, each year we have between 50 and 70 parents who volunteer three days a week in elementary school classrooms in the Roaring Fork School District. So Valley Settlement trains them do an intensive three-day training on all the things that you might need to support children in the classroom, and then every week, additional trainings. And they are very present, and both the Anglo kids in the classroom and the Latino kids in the classroom really benefit from their presence. You know, we, we really encourage them to bring their culture, their warmth, their, their life, their energy into the classroom. We say, you know, bring an extra set of eyes, your ears, and your heart to the teacher that has a big job with 20 or so children, um, some of whom may not speak English yet or are on the path to English uh, proficiency. Um, others, on the other hand, are, are highly proficient but might, might just need extra support, you know. Um, and that program is now in its sixth year and has really had an impact in the schools where not only those volunteer moms, dads, grandparents, we've had a few grandparents volunteer, uh, feeling comfortable in the schools and engaging, but then as their own children move into the elementary schools, they're, they're starting to engage in the, uh, sorry, I meant in the middle schools, as their own children are moving into middle schools and high schools, they're parents that are engaged. And we have a fantastic definition of engagement, which is I belong, I am learning, and I make a difference. And that comes from our founder, George Stranahan, and he's studied education for years and studied community organizing. But it really makes sense when you think about settling in a new community as an immigrant, like, you do belong here. You know, you're part of our community fabric, you're, you're working, you're supporting your family, and your children are going to be an integral part as, as they move through the school system. Well, so when you talk about community organizing and, and the greater effects uh, on, on the Valley, is it, is it such that where students are, are learning new cultures and so forth and therefore accepting immigrants uh, who are here? Or is there really interaction and friendships mm -hmm. growing where, you know, children of immigrants are playing at the houses of, yeah. of uh, people who have been here forever and, and vice versa? Like, is it just, yeah. thank you for coming, or is it, let's actually relate with each yeah. other? I think it, it's, it's yes to both of those. It's, it's a spectrum and it's a continuum. I mean, my observation is that we're basically halfway through the first generation of immigrants in our community, in this valley. When I grew up here, there were very few immigrants. And I think in another five or 10 years, we're gonna be at the end of that first generation and start seeing quite a few that were raised here that have decided to stay here and their children entering the schools. And we're already starting to see some children entering like Basalt Elementary School whose parents were first generation immigrants who, who decided to stay here and now their children are five and six years old. And they're, they're coming in well adjusted and really integrated with the rest of the community. So you're starting to see more of that, of a, what I would call a more bicultural community than 10 years ago, but it's a continuum. We're not, we're not fully there, and I don't know if we will be fully bicultural in another 10 years, but I, I do sense that the Anglo community is really starting to learn and cherish the, the, the things that we can benefit from, strong family values and really families supporting each other. 
when lots of the families here are very isolated from because they moved here and they don't have the the family network that that a lot of the immigrant families do. Have you faced any challenges from the Anglo community that you didn't expect, um, or or any or any positive aspects yeah. that you did that you didn't expect, or or did yeah. you think that this was uh, a natural projection that that Valley Settlement would be influential? I feel that the Anglo's in our community have been tremendously accepting and really as they learn about Valley Settlement and they see and they learn more about say an individual family and their their situation they just they tend to have tremendous admiration for the work values and you know the the skills that have, that have been 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 making our ski town work and for the most part we really don't see any negative um, energy from the Anglo community do you see Valley Settlement and what the work Valley Settlement's doing uh, unique, or are there other communities in Colorado and, yeah. and the Midwest? Um, I know you mentioned New York, but yeah. how you're working, um, is it unique or, or is it similar to other areas? The, the two generation strategies that we use from the education perspective are not unique. There's a very large network that is actually run by the Aspen Institute out of their DC office, and it's called the Ascend Network. And it works with lots of organizations like Valley Settlement, um, but they all look different. There are two generation organizations that are members that are part of Head Start and Early Head Start, you know, federally funded programs that are realizing we need to we need to focus on parental education, not just um, taking care of children. And then there are programs from states like Hawaii that, that the the counties have really invested in two generation strategies, and then other partners of ours in this community. What's a little unique about what Valley Settlement has done is created this kind of going out to the community strategy coupled with a two generation. Uh, but I will say, even in the Eagle Vale Valley, they've adopted a two generation strategy. They, they had mobile preschools before we did, and we modeled ours after theirs, but we did, were deploying this two generation strategy, really uh, approaching the parents as a key piece of it, and then that's influenced them. So the Eagle School District also has a parent mentor program, and our, our staff trained them. So we really try to share the strategies. We're not trying to expand our geographic footprint, but we're in networks like Ascend to help other practitioners see what works in their community. And you really need it to, to bubble up, in our opinion, from the needs of the families that you're trying to serve. So a two-generation strategy in our valley looks very much like immigrant-focused organization like Valley Settlement. Mm -hmm. But in downtown Denver, where there may be 40 different language groups, they can't do what we do, which is bilingual education. They really have to support the families where they are. And, and you know that's more of an English assimilation model that they would be applying. And there, there's a, a sister organization in Denver that we're aware of that does that. And do you think that immigration is just a, a, a new reality, where immigrants will be coming to America, mm -hmm. and, and this is something that we need to understand and uh, incorporate uh, different cultures and, and, and new people, and this is the best way to do it? Or uh, are you normative in the respect of saying, no, 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 immigration is a good thing. Mm. Whether it happens or not, we should be pushing for it to happen because the way our country will grow is not necessarily through birth, but through population exchange and so forth. I would... I'm, I not, know sure, I'm not sure that's an either-or question, because I, I th or I'm going to answer it. Both of those are, are yeah. I think, very powerful. Like, I think immigration is an old thing in this country, and family-based immigration has been our history. We're trying to help families stay together, 
has really been a powerful thing. And if, if I could change one thing about immigration policy, it would not have individual visas for individual members of a family, but it would say this whole family, if, if one of them has a job, let's give them the authority to be here illegally and participate in the system. And right now, I mean, we hear of cases where the mother and child have different documentation status and they're, they're at risk of being separated. And that, that doesn't help anyone. But I think our, the promise of the American dream and the American culture is that immigrants from you know, waves and waves and waves have made us who we are. And I think we should continue to embrace it. I feel like we have, in general, embraced it. It's just we get policy sometimes that's contrary to that and, and, and systems that are really not uh, linear. You know? So it can take 20 years to get your green card here on a legal path. And it's hard to say, well, what do you do in the meantime? When, and so a lot of the, the families that volunteer in our programs, they, they don't have the ability to work here legally, so they're volunteering. You know, their, their partner has the legal authority, and they, they're, they're, they're not able to work. So they can live here, but they can't work. So volunteer with us and engage in the schools, and then over time, if you get the opportunity to work, you'll have a lot of skills to work. So even though we don't directly try to do workforce education, we have helped numerous cohorts go through CMC uh, workforce programs like certificate programs mm -hmm. and succeed at like a 95% uh, graduation rate, which is kind of unheard of in community colleges where they're used to like 50%. Right. So it's interesting because it seems to me that the debate or the, the public discourse on immigration today conflates two issues, right? The first issue is the economic issue where uh, immigrants take our jobs or, or uh, they, they take resources that could be gone to, to citizens and so forth. Uh, that's one issue. The second is uh, uh, immigration, even if it's good economically, may change the culture of, of America. Um, like there's a book by Samuel yeah. Huntington who, who talks about the Mexicanization of America, mm -hmm. for good or for bad. Yeah. Uh, but uh, this was a, uh, I think the book was called Who We Are and so forth. Mm. And it seems when we talk about immigration, we kind of put those two together, but they're really two separate issues. Uh, and it seems like Valley Settlement is, is engaged in both issues, both on the cultural side and on the economic side, keeping them distinct. Um, do you have uh, difficulty in terms of when you go to private philanthropers or when you uh, talk about the work that you're doing, recognizing those or trying to convince others of, or, or show others of the, the, the distinct uh, issues that need to be to be faced? Honestly, I don't think we are that concerned with it. I think the strengths that come from immigrants are basically what has made this country so phenomenal, and the values of the country are going to endure. Now, hundreds of years from now, are we all going to be speaking multiple languages, or are we all going to assimilate to English only? Um, I think it depends on, do we continue to allow immigrants in to help us grow because like like you were mentioning earlier you know the standard population once people reach middle class here it, we don't you know we're more like stagnation and I think it's healthy to grow a few percent a year um, for the next hundred years like I think our country can support that that's not crazy um, when you look at other countries that are growing nine ten percent a year and you know I think, I think what they, they, they really need to do is, is figure out, well, what's the sustainable number of people that their, their economy can, can handle? But for our economy, we've always relied on, on, on immigrants to help support and bolster the work that, that needs to be done 
in our communities. Well, I think it goes to your mission of immigration, acculturation, and community building, mm -hmm. where acculturation is uh, having uh, uh, people, new residents, understand the culture in which they're, they're coming into to be able to interact, relate, and, and, and work and live. Um, but there's also a reciprocity there in community building where the community gets bigger in and of itself, not only in terms of population, but in terms of ideas and in terms of acceptance, mm. uh, where there's the, uh, those who are acculturating are also giving back culturally through shared values and through new perspectives. Absolutely. That's well said. No, well, you well, could be our, our new spokesperson. Well, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, I understand that you were born and raised uh, in Aspen. Um, how, has, how has Aspen changed since you were living here to, to today? And how has that influenced your work in Valley Settlement? Yeah. Well, Aspen's changed in so many ways since, since I was a youth here. I'd say the biggest is really um, the working class of Aspen is probably half Latino today. The back offices of the restaurants, landscaping, the service industry are primarily Latinos. And when I was a youth, it was primarily young, young Anglos like myself. And I feel like that's, that's a natural progression. And the rest of the valley has grown quite a bit as well. Basalt had 300 people in it when I, was, when I lived in Woody Creek. And you know it was a very small community, but it was a very tight-knit community. And it still holds some of that together. And, and I feel like the valley is more of a one community now. You know, it used to be Aspen was its own thing, and each town was kind of its separate entity. But there's quite a bit of travel up and down the valley for different cultural events and for supporting the, the overall economy here. Uh, but it's changed. It's certainly changed. And I feel like it's been a great thing for Aspen to actually change color a little and have, have more immigrants in our, in our midst. Well, John, I, I want to thank you so much for, for speaking with me today, and I, and I applaud the work that you're doing at, at Valley Settlement. Uh, you should only be more and more successful and have uh, more and more uh, influence in building the, the Aspen and the Roaring Fork community. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Ar. It's really been a pleasure. No, thank you. And, and to our audience, we hope that with this show, you have come a little bit closer to achieving the good life. Thank you for tuning in to Grassroots Television. Visit grassrootstv.org for on-demand community archive footage, as well as educational, inspiring, and entertaining local programming. A contribution to Grassroots TV allows us to bring your voice to the valley and to preserve media that will be enjoyed by future generations. Visit us at grassrootstv.org and follow us on Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Twitter. We encourage you to support all the local businesses and citizens that generously underwrite grassroots programming and play an integral role in nurturing open communication among the residents of the Roaring Fork Valley since 1972. Thank you for tuning in to Grassroots Community Network.